Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Charmed Life podcast. I am your host, Trisha Carr. And in this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about this terrible habit that we have of shoulding all over ourselves. This should thing that we do. And so what I'm saying here is should, S-H-O-U-L-D. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it from the metaphysical standpoint as well as sort of the therapeutic, the hypnotherapeutic standpoint. And so let's just dive right in. And now this is obviously a solo episode. And if you're new to this podcast, then I welcome you to explore. I often, many of my episodes are of me teaching alone. And some other ones are mini episodes, excerpts from different teachings that I do either on my own in my own Mystic Arts Academy or with my best friend and business partner, Crystal Ann Compton. And then I have some main episodes where, like this one where I'm doing some teaching or I'm interviewing some guest experts. And I have some, I have quite a lot of interviews coming up, but not until next month. This month has really been mostly about, well, I actually think I do have a couple this month, but this month has been mostly about me being in this space with you guys and teaching. It just, I go on these cycles. I don't know. Spirit does what spirit knows how to do. And so here we are. So I am a hypnotherapist and I'm also an intuitive counselor and coach. I'm a medium, a multidimensional medium, channel, and um, also animal telepath. And so, well, spiritual teacher is kind of the main thing that I'm doing with all of those different things that I do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today about beliefs, thought forms, and how we can snoop out <laughs> with ourselves, how we can witness in ourselves that we have a stubborn belief, you might say block, but I'm actually going to talk probably in an episode coming up really soon, either next week or sometime soon. It's going to be an extension of this, and it's going to be a little bit more about blocks. But this is kind of a precursor to that. We're talking about beliefs. And the clue to a belief that is defending itself, you might say a limiting belief, let's, let's say this episode's about limiting beliefs, <laughs> is when we use this word should. Should is not a helpful word, and we're going we're gonna to demystify the should. We're going to uncover and, and find out when we have limiting beliefs and talk about what to do about it. So should is an attempt. It's a clue. It's a clue that there is an attempt for you to, at, to work with negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement. Now, what is that? So negative reinforcement is when we punish ourselves, we punish someone into doing what we want them to do. You see right there, it actually is not a very straight line of logic. So we use negative, the negating energy, in order to affirm energy. And it just, it's illogical, truly. If we just think about it very simply, we kind of step back. Now, social psychologists have confirmed that negative reinforcement is not a sustaining way to actually get results. Now you could, and I say it's not sustaining, sustainable because you could have an immediate result, but it is not a sustainable or long lasting result. And I'll give you an example of this. I used to work for a sales organization, a big behemoth sales organization. And the VP boss of sales used negative reinforcement, he thought, to motivate his 
employees. And so he would, it's essentially a lot of, if you don't achieve these numbers, then you will be punished. And also to the point of yelling at people, berating people, and criticizing people very, very harshly. This person definitely created um, an, an environment of, of harassment and negativity. I, I didn't really have to deal with them. But this he was known for this, and I did witness it, even though I didn't have to actually undergo that kind of treatment. I was a little bit more on my own. And so that's negative reinforcement. Now, it, putting that forward and saying, if you don't reach these sales numbers, then you're going to have a penalty can sort of frighten the employees into achieving it. But what it does as as an unequal exchange is it degrades the teamwork it degrades the trust which is a more of a long standing kind of rewarding experience you see if he he then had to micromanage or there had to be micromanaging happening because there was no positive benefit to actually achieving things. The the benefit of not being punished isn't that positive of an experience. Not experiencing pain, but being aware of pain having been the potential is not rewarding. <laughs> it's, it's an avoidance of something painful is not the same as a pleasurable, rewarding experience. So what does work is to positively reinforce and motivate and engage because then it reinforces a positive relationship in the team. And then the employee would be wanting to, they would be loyal, they would want to actually service the system and the boss even. And then they would be working in a way that was much more, um, like I say, sustainable, but would benefit in so many more ways. Now, another result of that would be like, these people are, are generally very unhappy in their work environment, so they're probably going to quit or move on. And that turnover is much more expensive to the company than having a loyal employee that's there for a while. And then in this particular organization, the employees then were, they would actually do things like steal and cheat and and lie, you know, basically game the system because they were unhappy and because there was this environment of this negativity. And so there's a little picture of how negative reinforcement doesn't work. I say social psychologists have discovered this because there's one particular study that maybe some of you have heard of this, and I may have mentioned it before on this podcast or in a class, where the social psychologists set up an experiment where there's a control group and then there are, there's a, you know, a what do you call that, a clinical, you know, trial group. And it's essentially children... And there is a, a custodian, like an adult, who says, listen, you know, to this group of children, you can play with all of the toys in this room, except for this one toy. And this one toy, if you play with it, you will get in a lot of trouble and you will be very, very punished. And so they leave the children, observe them. And of course, they pretty quickly go over to the, to the toy that they were negatively reinforced. It's not really a truly a reinforcement. They to, you know, they were admonished in advance to stay away from. Now, then they also had uh, a group of children with the same set of toys and everything. And they said, you can play with all of these toys, any of the toys, but this toy, I would rather you didn't play with that. And if you didn't play with that toy, then it would make me really happy. 
And then the children would not play with that toy. And even they would come up to the adult afterward and, and brag about it and say, I played with all of them except for that toy. So again, we're seeing a more fruitful relationship, a bonding relationship where when the, when the um, supervision isn't even there, that they want to do good. So there, that's the experiment that I'm referring to. And of course, I'm paraphrasing this so much, but it is, if you are interested in looking it up, you could probably find it. So that's how we know from a clinical standpoint, even that negative reinforcement doesn't work. But did you know that you are attempting to negatively reinforce yourself? And so the way that we can see that is with this word, should. As you can imagine, just think about that. Should is, is not a motivating word. When you say, I should, now, now sometimes we say it colloquially, we'd say it casually and we don't really mean it. Sometimes we say it excitedly. Oh, we should go to Disneyland. That's different. I'm not talking about in all scenarios in such a literal way. But when you say, uh, I shouldn't, it could be should or shouldn't. I shouldn't eat the cake. Oh, I should work out. Oh, I shouldn't date jerks. You know, that should word is an attempt to negatively reinforce yourself. But here's the thing. All change happens with the whole being. When we say should, we have two parts of ourself. And one is shaming, judging, and ne attempting to negatively reinforce or negatively, quote unquote, in air quotes, motivate the self. So we have a separation in the self. We have a division and we don't have an integration. And change, real change, real evolution happens with the whole being. And it happens in a container of grace. If we are moving from something that is challenging, we, we can put ourselves in this container of grace, meaning we have the compassion, we have the understanding, we have the room to grow and to be held. That's the, what I mean by a container of grace. That's how we can actually shift from a, a belief or a habit that is not helpful and healthy for us, bringing ourselves into that container of grace or another person into a container of grace so that we don't have that one component shaming another. We have all the parts of ourselves in this container. So let's break this down a little bit about what's really happening when we are shoulding ourselves. And I like to say we shouldn't should all over ourselves, right? Actually, another little funny thing. My husband, there's some person that he knew when he was like a young adult, like in his 20s, when a person would start a sentence, they would say, oh, you should. He would quickly interrupt before you even notice. And he would go, you should stop starting sentences with you should. <laughs> So it's a little game <laughs> that we play every now and again. If you can think about it, if you can get it in there quickly enough. But it's kind of a good interruption for yourself. If you say, I should, I should stop starting sentences with I should. <laughs> All right. So let's break it down a little bit. What's really happening with the shoulding? What's really happening is that there is an old belief that is being threatened. So remember we have, I said a moment ago, we have two parts of ourselves. One part is shaming the other one. One part is cajoling the other. One part is judging the other. We have a division. We have a separation. So one part is actually protecting an old belief. And you're saying, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm actually attempting to 
move forward to a positive belief. I should work out, like working out would be better for me. But the should is a, it's it's throwing us off because it's, again, it's not bringing in the whole being and it's definitely not bringing in a container of grace for us. So let's talk about what beliefs are. This is really cool. Beliefs are thought forms. Okay, so Abraham Hicks says that a belief is a thought you keep thinking. Agree. Now, I want to propose to you that a belief is a thought form, whether it's positive or negative. And I want to tell you that something that we would do really well by, we would become very fantastic magicians. And one of the main reasons we are here is to understand, is to learn how to become really masterful in manipulating, shifting, and changing energy from one form to another. And a way to do this is to really craft thought forms, to become a master of creating and uncreating or dematerializing, uncreating thought forms. So let me digress in case you haven't heard this term thought form before. I wanted to to give you a little overview for those of you who do know what thought forms are. So a thought form. A thought form is something that is a partially composed manifestation, let's say. So it isn't something that has become matter. It isn't all the way to physical form yet. But there have been enough layers of thoughts created put upon this one particular focal point that it's somewhere between non-physical and physical. It's still in the non-physical, but it has a form. It's a patterning. It is actually starting to become something kind of like a holograph or a hologram, something that is not solid 3D, whether it's in physical form like a being or it's not physical form like an event or physical form like a new car or something like that. You know, when we say thoughts become things, a thought form is somewhere in between the thought becoming a physical thing. Thoughts are things in this regard that they are energy and energy is a real thing. It's a reality. Energy is a reality. So we have a thought and in and of itself is a thing. We keep having those and it's like layers of paint that we're putting on. It's getting more and more form to it. So it's a thought hyphen form. It's an interbetween manifestation. Thought forms can be very sophisticated. Now I'll tell you one other thing that thought forms, an example of a thought form is, is that it can be something like a poltergeist, things that are occurring in our paranormal spaces, in that fourth dimensional space where it's something that a lot of people have thought about. Maybe a lot of people have had this, you know, idea of a chupacabra. Now the chupacabra may be a real thing. I'm not saying that it's definitely not. But for example, things that are legend or then a lot of people witness it, that could be a thought form. And that's why a lot of people witness it because they're witnessing this not totally matter, but partially materialized thought form, thing that is somewhere between. It's a hybrid of thought and a hybrid of form, but still on this side of matter. Another thing that could be a thought form, like I have been inter I've been like in the process of of doing TV shows where it's like a medium who goes in and does, you know, finds ghosts and stuff. And I'm always schooling them. Like, not everything that's in an old house is a ghost. Probably a lot of it is thought form. Like when they in these haunted houses and they every, you know, guest in this hotel and many different people have seen the woman repeating this pattern of going up the stairs. You know what I mean? There's a good chance that's not even a ghost, meaning like it's not a disembodied consciousness, a discarnate person. 
It could be an impression on the field or a thought form. A lot of people have seen it. And so even someone who's not aware of it then will witness it in the in the interbetween space because it has so many layers of that. Think of the thoughts as paint. And so we're giving it more expression. And then that's a thought form, you know, that they all are seeing the re repetition. It's just a pattern in the energetic space. So those, those are all the different kinds of things that thought forms are. There's also a, pro um, a process where people create servitors, which are thought forms. In Sanskrit, I believe it's called tulpa. And a servitor is kind of what I'm talking about, but it's basically where you are creating. It's a magic kind of tool where you are actually creating a, a thought form so that it can actually do your bidding. And so that would be even advancing it and making it a much more sophisticated because a servitor eventually is said that it could actually begin to take on its own will. And I think the way that it does that is that it magnetizes to it um, an entity in the in the fourth dimension that actually is more of a sophisticated kind of being and then it starts to use that energy. Now we're talking in all of the negative polarity. So you're not going to accidentally do that because that happens if you are negatively polarized, which is a definite decision. Nobody is accidentally negatively polarized, meaning like you, it is a definite decision to be doing a spiritual practice for love, for light, for growth, for unity, for health, for well-being, for yourself and others, to service of all, and to be selfish and harmful, okay? So just dispel that. It's not, it's not as subtle as all that. And... um in the, the way that we're talking about this. Okay, so that's a little overview of what thought forms are or can be. So I'm saying that beliefs are thought forms. Beliefs are a, 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 a layering, almost like I think about them as these little holographic, like, you know, creatures that we create. We create these old ones. We create them when we are young, we are children, when we are between the ages of zero and eight, we begin to create these thought forms. They are the beliefs and they just happen by random associations. And I talk about this in my hypnotherapy um, practice. I talk about it. If you want to, I'm going to link a video here for you where we talk, I talk about the theory of mind, which is a theory that was put forth by Dr. John Kappas. It's a model of how we actually create the whole matrix of our mind. So Check that out. It's a 10-minute video, and it's it's really interesting. So the thought forms are these associations that we make, and then we believe that they we put like these little holograms, these little monitors in charge of something that we believe will make us safe. And we say, I survived that. Put a little benchmark there. Create a guy, a little thought form guy, and now you're in charge of that. But see, what happens is that later on, we're ready to move out of those beliefs. We keep adding layers of paint to them too. You know what I mean? And so they they take on adult characteristics. You know, we have the cons the child concerns, but then we become 12 and it we shape that thought form. We give it a little bit more characteristics that have to do with a 12-year-old and then we 14-year-old and then a 30-year-old and, you know, and then it's still there. And then we're winding up here saying, I should work out. I shouldn't date jerks. You know, all the things that we're shooting ourselves about. And we still have a thought form there who is guarding a belief. 
an old belief. And so here's the thing, uh, the, the beliefs or the thought forms are false guardians because the unconscious experiences that it's somehow keeping us safe, but it's not because we are moving, we are evolving. And so what's happening is this thought form, this false guardian is quietly whispering, but that whisper is loud inside the matrix of your mind and your and your spirit and your emotional body, your mental and emotional bodies. And it's influencing your thought patterns and your behaviors. And it's just taking you a little out. That thought form is saying, yeah, oh, oh, you should work out. Well, but it's late. And oh, you, you worked so hard today. And, and you know what? It was gently encouraging you to be too busy today. And busy isn't the same as productive, by the way, but the thought form believes is just reinforcing what you set up when you were seven years old. Where if you looked busy, then maybe you wouldn't get in trouble by teacher or mom or dad or, or sister even, you know. And so it's been secretly, co insidiously, covertly nudging you because you told it to. You told it to and you have been serving that. So it has been, it has been just nudging you all these ways. And then you wind up with this you know, this truth of your being that's wanting to come through, which is, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm interested in health and well-being and, you know what I mean? Like whether it's mental, emotional, and relational, physical, whatever it is. And so it says, well, should you? And then you go, yeah, I should. And now there's two parts of you again, the false guardian and the higher mind that's gently like the still small voice of God saying, you can. And then it says, oh, Oh, shame yourself. And that will throw you off its path. It'll throw you off its game. So it was invented by you. And it it in its depths of its root system, it's it was invented by you as a child almost, I mean, let's just say possibly all of the time if we're talking about these old beliefs. So they they can be very sophisticated. Um, and what the thing is they are composed of survival energy. And they are powered, they are fueled by fear. Let me talk about that a little bit. I've mentioned it before on my podcast, so uh, this may be a repetition, but repetition is our friend. It's like watering. It's like watering the garden. You know what I mean? Like it's like giving the soil its nutrients. Okay, so these beliefs or these thought forms, they were created in a time where we've had a fear of survival and there is an association made that we survived something and the context surrounding it is what is then the, the mechanism that is used to stitch together this thought form. And now the context could be something like I fell off of my bike. I'm four years old, my little tricycle, I fall off of it. I skinned my knee real bad and that hurt. And it felt like the earth was rejecting me. This life, this pain, let me know that this life is unsafe and it's painful. And mom takes care of you as she should. And innocently, mom gives you a hug. And then mom gives you a cookie to help to change your state. All very innocent and maybe even a good practice. But the child's mind makes an association with safety when you were felt, when you felt hurt and rejected. Means maybe affection, which could be a good thing. And maybe it means sugary treat. And now you're 35 and you should work out, 
But that box of cookies is what you really deserve, right? Because you worked out real, because you worked hard today and your boss was on your ass and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there's just a context of association made with it. And then you stitched a thought form out of the need to survive. Beliefs or these old thought forms are composed with the interest and the energy, the very energy of survival. So if you begin to threaten it, it will try and survive because that is its job, survival. And so it will fight tooth and nail. It will be cunning. It will be insidious. It will be, uh, you know, devious in order to survive. That's why, dear one, it is so hard. It is so difficult sometimes to make those changes. And that's why the only, the, the, the thing to do is to create that container of grace because that is the antithesis to the shooting. That is the antithesis to that negative reinforcement. It is the antithesis to the fight to survive. The container of grace says you are well and all, compassion is here for you. Okay, so they are composed of sort of these thought forms, these little holograms and the all around <laughs> composed of survival energy empowered by fear so they will defend themselves and so they are there out of they are their their modus operandi has a lot to do with negative reinforcement and so that is what they will use and so i'm going to talk to you i'm going to give you a few i'm going to give you a tip about what to tip or two about what to do and we're going to run down some um a few of these shoulds and really just look at what they're doing I'm going to be right back. I'm just going to play one little message for you, and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm so excited to announce the 2020 Energy Intensive with me, Trisha Carr, and my partner, Crystal Ann Compton. The Energy Intensive is an eight-week comprehensive program that teaches and activates energy healing modalities. This program is unique, it is brand new, and it is cutting edge. It's also perfect for anyone who's interested in healing and energy, and particularly for intuitive people, for metaphysical seekers, and for spiritual practitioners. To learn more about the 2020 Energy Intensive, click the link in the description of this episode. And we are back talking about those beliefs and those little holographic those little insidious, those little devil bastards, <laughs> not real devil, if that worries you, thought forms. Now, I have this, this idea. I have, you know, I kind of think in cartoons. I think maybe a lot of us do. And so I have this idea that when we make new friends or I was actually watching some kind of movie or TV show the other day where two people were getting get together to date. And I was just imagining these two people meeting one another and kind of like, having falling in love or getting to know one another and starting to like each other. And that all of their thought forms were communicating with one another and saying, ooh, you want to reinforce me? Yes, I will. Oh, great. And those are the things that were, oh, 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 we're meeting together. Now, now I, I should take a moment to say that, again, not all thought forms are negative. We can create positive thought forms. And this is what I think we as master magicians, as powerful, empowered spiritual seekers, as those who are working in evolution and ascension, and to be able to become a master of creating thought forms with our whole being consciously. And then when it's time, because even one that's created consciously and in and, and empowered sense, it may be time to uncreate them, to dematerialize them and create a new one. 
that's something we would do really well to do. So it could be some of those positive ones too. Those pot, you know, like for example, if you're like, I am, it is important for me to be healthy and to have a lifestyle of health and well-being movement and healthy eating, then that's a positive thought form that's good that you created with your whole healthy mind and body and spirit. And you have that little healthy thought form and then you meet that new potential mate and that thought form says hey want to be friends and that says yeah i do want to be friends great and then you can reinforce that with one another <laughs> so just to to round out the conversation a little bit but of course this episode is about how to how to unroot and how to observe those thought forms that are not serving us and it's all about the should in this episode should should is an insidious defense. Insidious meaning it's like deceptive. It's not true. It's not helpful. It's not working for you. A should actually blocks you. It obscures to you and your awareness the cause of what it is that you are, you know, like the reason that you're not dating the right person or the reason that you are not eating the healthier foods, making the healthier choices in whatever way. The real cause of that, a should obscures that, it hides it for you because it places the awareness on shame. It places the awareness on the separation within the self. And it also obscures you from the symptom. It, de it disempowers you from being able to deal with the symptom, which means that, okay, well, tonight I don't eat the cookies. When we should ourselves, then we usually want the cookies more because it, it, it kind of drives us to that. A should baby may be used against yourself, another person, or a system. So if you are saying, I should do this, I shouldn't do that. If you find yourself saying, you should or he should do or do not do this, or the system should or shouldn't do that. Now, can two things be true? That a system should work better? Yes. But it is kind of a giving up of responsibility when we're shooting, it just usually is. And we have a disempowering happening. We have a separation, we have a division, rather than a coming together and integration and an evolution. A should will not give you the right action or suggest the right pattern of thought. So a should is not going to serve you in the way that it will obscure a cause as well as send you off the path of actually working on the symptom, it's not going to be the resource for correct action or correct thinking or feeling. A should will cover up how to work with the cause or the symptom. And so as I was saying, it will cover it up entirely because sometimes we can just work on symptoms. I'm going to talk about that in another episode. And sometimes we're able to get to the cause and actually unearth it. But a should will keep you from doing that. So here's what what we can do with shoulds and how we can start to recognize this language as a portal, the should can be a portal, to, to that thought form that we can actually shift, change, dematerialize, and then maybe create one consciously, positively with the whole being to be our positive guardian, to be our positive helper. So when a should shows up, realize that it's an opportunity. And you are, the should was already trying to shame you. Don't stay in the shame. Hear the should and say, ah, an opportunity. Because it can be a catalyst toward true change. It has revealed itself. I tell you, 
I say they're sophisticated, those thought forms that are obscuring the negative belief, but they're not that sophisticated. If you are able to be awakened and be in that mastery position, be in that seer position, this should becomes a telltale sign. It becomes the flag. It can't seem to hide itself anymore. So allow it to be an opportunity and a catalyst toward the true change that is actually coming up. I see it as showing up as a should because your whole being is really saying it's time. This is now. You are empowered to do this. Spirit is showing you. Spirit is stepping in. That's what the game, you know what I mean? Like the game is rigged. Should is always an opportunity. And spirit is helping you to have that awareness. And you can use you know, the help of angels, your spirit guides, or just your higher mind. So I'm asking you to get excited when you hear a should. If you can pivot and get excited or pivot and get curious and realize, here's another tip, that a should is actually revealing that there is an either an overcare or an undercare about something. And hear this, overcare or undercare about something is usually a defense against the opposite. I'm going to say it again, an overcare or an undercare about a particular subject is usually a defense against the opposite. So let me just break that down. I say it that way a couple of times so you can hear it and then I kind of dial into it and let me give you an example. Okay, so I should work out. There's our should. And what is it? The defense against the opposite. What the truth is, is that I want to have freedom. I should work out. I want to have freedom. I want to have freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do. So it isn't actually about working out. It's possibly about something else that's been going on. And it's also about confronting those inner issues about needing self-care, self-accepting, self-love. Those are the things that are being obscured by it. The opposite of I should work out is that I want to have, it, it, that's being obscured is an Overcare about not working out is about wanting to care about doing the things that create freedom, create the feeling of freedom and health and well-being, self-love and acceptance. Here's another one. My boss should get off my back. What's really happening here is I want empowerment. I want to feel empowerment. I want to feel loved. I want to feel that I am able to be calling the shots and a sense of, again, freedom, I guess, is a theme right here. And so that is actually what is being obscured is the deeper work that wants to happen. And it's a, it's an attempt at a shortcut, but it doesn't actually get you where you want to go. And so what you can do is just when you hear the should, you realize that you got a false guardian there. You got that thought form. So get curious about what that false guardian that thought form is guarding. And it's usually more obvious than you think. You just got to take a breath, allow yourself to get somewhere along the lines of curious or excited and affirm that you have a, you're on the precipice, precipice of a catalyst. Let spirit come to you, create a container of grace, a place for compassion, a place for um, that introspection, a place for self-love. And then another thing you can do then is to work with that inner child who created it in the first place. Let that inner child just visualize or call toward you a child while you're in that container of grace. And that child can look like anything, can look like you or not, 
could be the same gender as you or not. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a representation, whatever's easiest for you to feel that compassion and just speak to that child. Now we're doing this in a slightly altered space. We do this by calling in spirit, calling in love, bringing ourselves into that compassionate place, taking that breath and going within and just let your, let the tool of the imaginal work with you and for you, but create that container of grace. And so work with, like I say, work with the inner child, get curious about what the false guardian is guarding. See the should as a catalyst for change, become curious, become excited. And above all, just allow that to be something from which you are awakened now, that you shouldn't be shooting all over yourself. And if you are, then you are standing at the brink of real change. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a great time working with you. And like I said, I have I have another episode coming up really soon where we're going to dig into some of these same um, things that were laid out here, like that container of grace, some things about the beliefs and, and the thought forms and everything, and how to really dig into work a little bit more. And um, I, I really appreciate you for being here. Check out all the links in the description. There are links in the description for how to, you know, that one episode I mentioned that on the on the channel that you can go and watch. This one you probably want to watch rather than listen to on the podcast if you can. Check out the links in the description and uh, check out my website. And I would love it if you would like, subscribe, share, and comment. And check out the classes that I have going on on demand. Check out the Mystic Arts Academy. That is a twice-monthly workshop membership platform with uh, almost weekly meetings for live hypno journeys and meditations. I would love to have you. It's a beautiful community. It's like a consciousness project. We are shifting and changing together and the whole uh, world. And I hope you'll join uh, the programs that I have coming up with Crystalline Compton. Check the links in the description for those. And with that, I say, I'm so grateful that you're here. You mean so much to me. Really, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. How would you describe the ideal student for the 2020 Energy Intensive with Crystal Ann Compton and Trisha Carr? I uh, kind of set my life up so that for the most part I was closed metaphysically. You know the stories that I tell about my opening and it was like I decided on a whim to get a 15 minute psychic reading. I had never considered that in all of my 39 years, you know? and. I did. And I, the reason I decided to get that first reading of my entire life, never having considered it was because I was like, why wouldn't I? I'm curious. And you know, the reasons of the past were that something to do with religion or something to do with some other set of fear that my mind was, is weak or some other kind of, um, like fear of being ridiculed by the pragmatic people who say that it's a crutch and it's silly. And I was like, screw all of that. <laughs> I, I didn't know a thing. And then, you know, like my journey after that, she said the word empath to me. And I'm like, what, like Counselor Troy? So I had no, no, like, pra no exposure to metaphysical content, but I was ready. And so it, I am the perfect student, even though I was like, what, what, I had, didn't know the word energy healer at that time and my guides as I was connecting with them in meditation were showing me 
light on my hands and saying energy healer. And I hadn't heard that word before, but I would have been the perfect student. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as I was feeling Exactly, because you were you were in that energetic composition of readiness. And also, you're such a great example, if I can just say, of someone who said yes over the course of the spiritual path, because so many people are so tentative. They don't, maybe, they don't really say yes. But we always say, when you do say yes, when you sign up for a class like this, when you agree to go meet your tribe and, and, and fellowship with other people to study and to really immerse yourself in things of the spirit, when you say yes on that level, spirit always meets you right where you are and gives you everything that you need and an acceleration truly takes place. I won't say your age, but it's only been, I mean, a handful of years since your 39th year and look where you are today. It's truly like you're a teacher, you have a podcast, you have many, many clients, you have your own business, you're quite successful, but you are also such a light to this world. Imagine if you didn't have the requisite curiosity and if you didn't have that energetic confidence without all the without all the facts, imagine if you had just said no, or I'll just wait, where would you be? And so for those who are kind of on the fence about exploring study and exploring their own spiritual and intuitive and energetic development, this is the reason why you want to say yes, because so much is possible when you do. Everything opens up to you when you do.